As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be in the Gospel of John in chapter 21. In just a moment, I'll read from John 21. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, you have set riches before us, and we treasure this word of God more even than our portion of food. Help us to receive these things as life-giving, filling words, words that would not only come into our ears and minds, but sink deeply into our hearts. Would you help us now to come before you? to sit in your presence, to attend to your words, and to find rest in them. Holy Spirit, would you guide us in these things and be with us in them? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is John in chapter 1. I want us to take up this morning Uh, these first 14 verses. So John chapter 21 will begin in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God. 
Now, today is Palm Sunday. It's a day in the life of the church that uh, over the centuries has come to be called Holy Week. This is the start of what leads up to the culmination of, of the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus. Now, the text that we've just read is not during the events of Holy Week. They come, these things come in the weeks after that, but because we've been keeping an eye on what is on the other side of Easter morning. We're looking at what we can see in Jesus in the time between when he rose from the dead and when he returns back to the Father's side at his ascension. So this account is part of the third and final time that John records Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. This doesn't tell us that Jesus only visited them or revealed himself to them three times. We know there were definitely more times than just this. Uh, one of them is the time in which they watch him ascend into the heavens. But, but John reminds us just the necessity of having to choose what he says about Jesus. In the very last words of his gospel, I've often loved these, the last words of the whole book are this, now, there are many other things that Jesus did, and if every one of them were written, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. So John has just had to, to choose what he has told us about all this time with Jesus. He's given an, a selection of three, probably the first three, but he doesn't say that in, clearly, at least three times in which Jesus visited his disciples. Now, of those three times that John records, this third event looks different from the first two that we've seen in these last weeks. In the first two events, Jesus, or the disciples are locked in a room in Jerusalem. But here, in this third time, they're back home along the seashore of Galilee. In the first two, it's a very concise account, just a few verses that mention the whole thing. This, this, this account, uh, it's lengthy, lots and lots of very specific details. So the first two, the focus is on the message that Jesus brings. He says, I'm sending you, and then don't disbelieve, but believe. Here, there's a message from Jesus, too. He's about to tell Peter, hey, feed my sheep. We'll have to save that look for another time. But this is more than just about the message of Jesus. John gives us a fuller picture of the events around it. He gives greater attention not just to what Jesus says, but to what Jesus does here. And in this final resurrection of Jesus, this visit in John, what Jesus does is have a beach picnic with his disciples. The line that is stuck in me this week is verse 12. Come have breakfast. So we're going in the rest of our time to observe four things about Jesus' role in this morning breakfast meal. That's where we're headed. Let's look at the first of these. Jesus is this breakfast host. He's the breakfast host here. 
There's a whole bunch of times in the gospel where Jesus is receiving hospitality from other people, where Jesus is a guest at their table. It's good for us to learn how to be a receiver of others' hospitality. But in this meal, this is his meal. This is Jesus' meal. He is the host. And he's the one who's extended the invitation for them to join. Come and have breakfast. And when Jesus is the host, no one ever has to beg for a seat at his table. No one has ever had to go banging on Jesus' door, hollering, let me in, let me in. Jesus is the one who stands at our door. He is the one who knocks for us. That's consistent throughout his life and ministry. We see Jesus regularly with open arms beckoning people to come. To the curious, he says, come with me and see. To the thirsty, he says, come to me and drink. To the children, he says, let them come to me and don't hinder them. To the weary and the burdened, he says, come to me and find rest. It's carried all the way to the one of the final calls of the Bible where we hear the words, come, 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 take the water of life without price. This is a wide call. And even with this wide beckoning gospel call from Jesus, we know that not all who are invited to come actually do come. Not all who are invited to come actually do come. When a person does not come to Jesus, it's not because of a lack of call from Jesus. It's because of a lack of desire for Jesus. Did you hear that? When we don't come, it's not because of a lack of call from him, it's because of a lack of desire in us. If we don't come, it's because we don't really want to come. Jesus is eager for us to come. I think we could say it that way. He's plainly told us earlier in this gospel that whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. So we can be sure that Jesus' banquet table is big and wide and never too full. And at this table along the shore, he said, come, have breakfast. Jesus is the host here. That's the first thing we'll note. Jesus is the host. The second thing is that Jesus is the breakfast supplier He's the breakfast supplier. Not just that he provides space or the table for the meal, that he provides food for the meal in the fish. You know, if we, you may have noticed as we were reading through, when the disciples come on shore from the boat, Jesus has already got some fish on the fire, but then he adds this in verse uh, 10. He says, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Bring some of your fish. Now, this might sound like this is a bring-your-own-fish-day at the fish fry. 
You know, we'll provide the fire, you bring the fish, and we'll throw it on. It's a carry-in where everybody's got a crockpot with fish in it. Uh, but, but we could also say that this huge haul of 153 fish aren't their fish, really. You know, they, they've been out fishing in the boat all night. They caught nothing. Cast the net and drag it in, nothing. Cast the net, drag it in, nothing. Not as much as a sardine, not a minnow, not a goldfish, no, nothing. But all that night, we hit the first glow of dawn's early light, and, and we catch the very first glimpse of Jesus on shore, just about a football field away, and he calls out to them, children, which is their way of saying, hey guys, hey guys, any luck? No? Switch to the other side of the boat. Now, they don't recognize Jesus yet. They're maybe tired. It's probably still a little bit dark out. But for whatever reason, they do what he say. I suppose they're, they're, they're sleepy and they suppose, why not? What we're doing isn't working. Let's cast the other side. So they throw the net on the other side of the boat. And on their first cast, suddenly they have this huge haul of fish so large that they can't even bring it all into the boat. Now, whose fish are these? I mean, you could say, in some sense, they're the disciples' fish. After all, it's their boat, their net, brought in by their muscle, their energy. It's their spot on the sea, after all. I'm sure they scouted it out real well. But we could also ask, you know, where did those boats and nets that you have come from? Where did that muscle and energy that you have come from? Where did this whole sea and all the fish come from? Isn't it all from God? There is nothing in all creation that is not ultimately from God's supply. All things are God's. We are never full owners of anything. We're just caretakers of what is his. Which means to treat anything like it's just mine, you know, my car, my college degree, my sandwich, my body. If I treat it as just mine and not ultimately God's, that's a form of stealing from God. Theft of something that is really his. When the disciples then are bringing in the fish that they just caught to breakfast, what they're doing is really bringing back to Jesus what has already been given by Jesus. He is their supply, and he has provided more than enough for them. That's the second. We now know he's the host He's the supplier. Third, Jesus here is the breakfast cook. He's the breakfast cook. This one made me chuckle when I noticed it. But if you look, Jesus doesn't just supply the food. He also prepares the food. 
By the time the disciples are climbing out of the water back on land, they find Jesus there, not just standing, tapping his toe, checking his watch. Hey, where you been? Took too long. Nor is he, you know, kicked up with a pina colada uh, on a lounge chair in some uh, cabana something. I don't even know how all that works. Jesus has, has already started cooking. It's in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. The fire's already there. That means before Jesus had even called out to them in the first place, he must have already started, sparked, stoked that fire. Let it burn and melt down to coals so that he would be able to, over low heat, lay out the fish and the bread to cook. So when the disciples finally, after their whole ruckus in the boat with the fish, join them on the shore, Peter has jumped out of the boat like Peter is normally doing and swimming to him directly. John, Thomas, and the rest of them, they're dragging in a boat with the net behind them full of fish. Now they all get up here, and here's Jesus finishing up a version of bacon and eggs. Can you imagine the smell I bet it wafted up as they're coming up on shore. Ah. Here are these disciples who have been awake all night, who've just wrestled in a super catch of fish. They're wet, they're tired, they're sore, they're hungry. And Jesus says, Come have breakfast. I cooked it for you. Come sit, warm yourself by the fire, eat. The meal's hot and ready. I made it for you. It's nothing fancy, but it is exactly what they need. That's the third. Jesus is the breakfast cook. Fourth and finally, Jesus is the breakfast server. The breakfast server. This isn't a buffet-style potluck. Love those? That's not what's happening here. This is also not a campfire weenie roast. Love those? That's not what's happening here. The disciples are served by Jesus. Where is it? Verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Jesus serves them the food. Now, that's a simple gesture, but it's a significant one. Because Jesus had told them, long before even his death, in a very famous sentence, I came, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. I came not to be served, but to serve. And that's still true now, even after his death and resurrection. You know, even, even as the, the Palm Sunday crowds are shouting out, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes to us, that reigning king is still a humble servant. Even after Jesus had been to hell and back, and comes holding the keys of death and Hades, he is the greatest one who has still become like the least. 
the glorious yet gentle one, the magnificent yet meek one. Jesus might wear a crown on his head, but he still ties a towel around his waist. Here is the suffering servant who had given his own life as a substitute for sin to save our souls from everlasting death. And that same suffering servant in this epic event that had happened before, here now is dishing out a bowl of fish and bread to fill the hungry bellies of tired fishermen. Serving breakfast is not too small or menial a task for the Lord Jesus. So surely we don't think that we are too big or too important to be servants as well. Jesus has called us to a similar sort of servanthood. He says this back in John 13, verse 15. He said, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, if this is what our master does, This is what we want to be about as well. So in this final resurrection appearance in John, we've seen Jesus here set himself up as the the host, as the supplier, as the cook, as the server of this morning meal. And to his disciples, he just says to them, come, eat. Come have breakfast. We need that. I need that. If I can just in a moment of transparency here mention that in preparing for this week, I was wiped out, tired, upset, Spent. And something about hearing those words, come have breakfast, made me realize just how starved I was for having breakfast with Jesus. We, we might be able to get away with skipping breakfast and get away and, and, and have just, you know, a rumbly tummy. But if we skip breakfast with Jesus, we will end up with a rumble in our soul. You know, we often talk about Jesus, think about Jesus, read about Jesus, learn about Jesus. All of that is important and good, but none of these things about Jesus Jesus will do us much good if we don't really sit at the table with Jesus. We don't want to just be about him. We want to be with him. If we just 
watch the meal, but don't really join, don't really partake, don't really eat, it's only going to leave us hungrier. Do you know what that's like? Have you ever felt those hunger pangs? It's heavy. And some of us might feel that desire, recognize that I have a desire to eat with Jesus, but we've convinced ourselves that we just don't know how. That convincing happens because we've come to think of a meal with Jesus as some big, huge deal. You know, that meal with Jesus is supposed to be a Thanksgiving feast with 13 side dishes. That it's some maybe gourmet meal with, with, with five specialty spoons that I don't know how any of these work or which one I'm supposed to use. That somehow we think that time with Jesus is supposed to be a time of serenity and mystical sense of peace. Or time with Jesus, I'm supposed to have prayers that are fully focused and clear and uninterrupted. My, my reading of the Bible is supposed to bring some breakthrough of new profound levels of understanding God. My, my worship is supposed to have some rapturous sense of joy in God's presence. My confession of sin ought to be flooded with tears. When we do all of that, it is no wonder then that our meals fill feel unfulfilling. Because we put too much pressure on them. Now don't get me wrong. There are times when we can experience all of some or all of what I've just said. I don't want to demean those moments. God is God. God can do wonders in us. But let's also not make this meal of Jesus with his disciples more elaborate than it is. This resurrection breakfast on the beach is just trout and toast. That's all it is. Not even as much as a little bit of seasoning after all. Trout and toast sitting next to a bunch of flopping fish. I've still got the mud stuck between my toes. They've all got the smell of seaweed in their hair. They're still drowsy from a long, sleepless night. This is not quiet time. This is not special time. This is not sacred time. It's just breakfast time. And a time when they stop and eat with Jesus. We are about to do just that in a moment as we receive the Lord's Supper together. This is similar in some ways to, to the beach breakfast, but it's also different. This isn't just trout and toast, as good as that may be. This is the body and blood of Jesus that he has given for and to us, his spiritual food in tangible form. And we should remember as we receive this that Jesus is the one who has set this table before us. Of course, there are many other hands involved, 
But it's ultimately Jesus who is the host, who's the supplier, the preparer, the server of this meal. So let's not waste it. Don't make this meal about yourself, about your own belly, your own desire, even, you know, mourning over your own sin. Don't make it about yourself. Don't even just make it about Jesus. It is about Jesus, but it's more. This is a meal with Jesus. To be in his very spiritual presence. So as we're about to come, let's hear and respond to his wide call. Come. Come and have breakfast. Pray with me. Mm, Lord, we want this. Help us to feel the hunger and desire for it. Would you make your presence real and known to us in the meal you've given? We're about to sing, Here, O Lord, I I see you face to face. I touch and handle things unseen. Would Would you set these things aside as holy food and drink? And as we receive of it, would you help us to be with you? Would you strengthen your union with us, that you would make us humble and thankful servants of you who are dependent upon you for all our food. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.